0: Learn to spot the guys that are selling drugs. They know they're selling. They know that you know they're selling, and it's a challenge to catch them. I mean, we did some hiding in trees, crawling around in the bushes. We cl- we climb on roofs of houses. We'd hide inside vacant apartments in the Texas heat, in uniform. Being a cop is a calling. I know that's everyone says that, and it is because you know you don't do it. You're not doing it for the money. You're doing it. God knows we didn't do it for the money but you just love doing it. It was, yeah, I, that's what I wanted to do. I don't know how else to explain it, it was just fun. So I'm at the front taking the report and I hear shots. And then I look over and I see Mark King getting a, a shooting at somebody. And then we both start chasing out in the parking lot. And we're chasing and it's the old, he's turning and shooting at us while we're running. I never shot at him then because we learned in shooting and running, it ain't like the movies. You're not gonna hit anything that you shoot at. I got hit in the face, the shoulder, uh, the forearm. I mean, all I remember was a flash. And I remember laying on the ground, on, on, the, on, the, on the carpet in the apartment and I remember rolling over and I remember seeing orange. It turns out it was the bottom of a, of a couch. You always go back to training. And I remember when I was in the academy, George Evenden and Jay Stevens telling us, if you ever go down, just move. And I remember just thinking, move, you got to move. And I, and I crawled out on the sidewalk.
1: You're listening to the ATO Bridging the Divide podcast. Brought to you by the Assisting Officer Foundation.
3: And we can learn from those mistakes.
4: And together we can bridge the divide.
1: Policeman. A policeman is a composite of what all men are. The mingling of a saint and sinner, dust and deity buried under the frost is the fact. Less than one half of one percent of a policeman misfit that uniform. That's a better average than you'll find among clergy. What is a policeman made of? He, of all men, is once the most needed and the most unwanted. He's a strangely nameless creature who is sir to his face and fuzz to his back. He must be such a diplomat that he can settle differences between individuals so that each will think they won. But, if the policeman is neat, he's conceited. If he's careless, he's a bum. If he's pleasant, he's flirting. If he's not, he's a grouch. He must make an instant decision which would require months for a lawyer to make but if he hurries he's careless if he's deliberate he's lazy he must be first to an accident and infallible with his diagnosis he must be able to stop start breathing stop bleeding tie splints and above all be sure the victim goes home without a limp Or expect to be sued. The police officer must know every gun draw on the run and hit where it doesn't hurt. He must be able to whip two men twice his size and half his age without damaging his uniform and without being brutal. If you hit him, he's a coward. If he hits you, he's a bully. A policeman must know everything and not tell. You must know where all the sin is and not partake. A policeman must, from a single strand of hair, be able to describe the crime, the weapon, and the criminal and tell you where the criminal is hiding. But if he catches the criminal, he's lucky. If he doesn't, he's a dunce. If he gets promoted, he's political. If he doesn't, he's a dullard. The policeman Must chase a bum, lead to a dead end? Stake out ten knots to tag one witness who saw it happen but refused to remember? The policeman must be a minister, a social worker, a diplomat, a tough guy, and a gentleman. And of course, he'd have to be a genius. for He will have to feed a family on a policeman's salary. Paul Harvey. 1970 welcome back atl fans today i'm joined by the great misty v and randy and a very special guest co-host deputy chief jeremy foy the definition i just read was from the great paul harvey it defines a policeman i really believe that today's guest embodies that definition born in san antonio Sam houston state grad started in dpd in 1988 one of the most violent years for dallas pd he's been a cops cop officer of the year award winner two-time dallas pd medal of valor winner it is my honor to welcome on the great lance crawford lance thank you so much for being with us it's an honor to sit with you thank you uh and a little mention to our special guest co-host, Deputy Chief Jeremy Foy. Here's a, little, here's a little sidebar. Whenever we recorded his episode, he just found out he got promoted, but he hadn't promoted quite yet. He was like a week and a half off, so he was still technically a major. Now this is the first time he's actually a Deputy Chief, and he's here with us.
5: Thanks for having me, Joe. Uh,
1: usually when people bring in a big fish, for a guest I say come on in and and be a part of it and you were able to catch us Lance over here so thank you yes sir all right you ready to get into this let's do it all right you were born in San Antonio uh but moved
0: to a small town where'd you go to after San Antonio well uh New, New Berlin Texas population 188 people very rural town uh, South Texas. Uh, if you know where Seguin is, Texas Lutheran College is there. That's how. That's about the only big thing. It's close to that. Uh, small little two A school. Uh, Marion High School is where I went to school. FFA was big, um farming, welding, stuff like that.
1: Yeah, we had that in Quinlan, Texas, when I went to high school there. And but it sounds like New Berlin kind
0: of won up them in a small <laughs> town. <laughs> it was pretty it was pretty small we we did not have a post office but we did have a community center and uh one beer joint that's so, all we, you need yeah, yeah <laughs> a, a, a dairy clean not even a dairy damn queen. no that's how damn. small Nobody it was is. yeah
3: did you go to lake mcqueenie
0: went to lake mcqueenie a lot yes that was uh yes yeah Landa Park and New Bronze and all that stuff. Mm-hmm.
4: And you know, Landa yeah. Park is a you know, a lost gym. I don't think it's open anymore, but I used to go there all the time. Did and you it, really yeah, this uh, I grew up in San Antonio too. Okay. Yeah. So, uh but that's a that was a great place with the they had this little shit carnival with a little roll it was
0: Are we allowed to cuss? Yeah.
1: Oh, yeah. Okay. okay. Yeah. Now, thanks I, I always cuss <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Are we allowed? Wait, yeah. <laughs> we're a bunch of People over forty, we do yeah. what the hell we want. <laughs> and you're retired; you can yeah, really do what yeah. you want. But yeah,
0: land park, a park, lots of
1: fun, great place. Mm-hmm.
0: All right, where'd you go? To, where'd you go to college? Sam Houston State. Shout out to my national champion, Sam Houston State Bearcats. Yeah, shout out. Yeah, that's right. My kids love it when I say that because a well, And M's been it's been a long time since they've won anything. So, oh, Randy, settle down. Settle down. Randy. <laughs> I'm sorry, Randy. Um, what was your major there? Criminal justice. Yeah,
1: I imagine that. You, yeah. You found that a little useful, right, later on?
0: Yeah, that was a, I could have got a degree in medieval history and still been a cop. <laughs> so, Hey. Uh, yeah.
1: So is that where you went on your ride-along? You, you apparently had a ride-along that impacted you early on.
0: No, my first ride-along was when I uh, was in high school. Okay. And, and it, I went out with the Guadalupe County Sheriff's Department. Tell us about that, because I I read your bio, and it looks
1: like that kind of made you think this is what I want to do.
0: Yeah, you know, I don't, I was trying to think of one specific time when I had this epiphany that I wanted to be a cop, I don't know when that was, but some, it was when I was a senior in high school, I went on a ride along with Guadalupe County Sheriff's Department, late nights, midnight to eight shift, and uh, of course you can imagine, it was getting cows out of the road, and one burglary report someone got a tractor tire slashed or something like that uh but it was just that we were out there everything was so new and inter- you met new different people saw new stuff the whole night and and we we actually ate breakfast with some state troopers at a denny's and uh i talked to them and they just talked about how it, it was you always saw something it was something different every night you know and uh <coughs> and uh it just lit a fire and that's what I wanted to be. And then I think it was the troopers who who mentioned Sam Houston State because back in the 80s there were only like two criminal justice colleges in the country and it was Michigan State and Sam Houston State. They were the only two. And of course I wasn't going to go to Michigan State. And uh so I got with my school counselor and we and I did did a few trips and Fell fell in love with Huntsville, Texas, and that's where I ended up going. So early on, what did you
1: believe a police officer to be? The qualities, and and what quality do you think at the time you felt best described you?
0: Just from the the Marion cops and the one New Berlin cop that I knew, they were just just good good people. You know, they 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 reminded me a lot of my dad. Just good, all around, honest people, and and. Uh, that honestly wanted to, I know it's cliched, wanted to go help people, but that's what they wanted to do. You wanted to go, you wanted to stand up for the, you wanted to be the person that stood up against the bully in the neighborhood. And uh, I just felt like, you know, they say being a cop is a calling. I know that's everyone says that, and it is, because you know you don't do it. You're not doing it for the money, and you're doing it, God knows we didn't do it for the money, but you just love doing it. And it was, that's what I wanted to do. I don't know how else to explain it. It was just fun.
1: I do it for all this money that I'm yeah. making here. <laughs> yeah. So you went to Sam Sam Houston. So growing up in tiny town and going to college, how much of a culture shock was that for you?
0: Big. Uh, tiny little, you know, like I said, I had a graduating high school class of 49 people. And so when I went to Sam Houston, which – yes it's not well, it's not UT or A&M but it was still a large a big school 30 uh, something thousand students and so my first class I remember going in it was a biology class and it was in an auditorium and there was like 150 kids in there and I was I, I was literally shell shocked I was I didn't I never seen anything like that and um uh, you know and and a as you know, college college professors—they're getting paid whether you're there or not. They lay out your syllabus. Say, here's what's going to happen. You keep up, or you—that's yeah, just the way it is. And 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 I struggled my first semester. I made some C's and B's, n- no A's, and my dad couldn't understand why that was happening. And I said, Daddy, this is—it's different. I'm not used to this, you know. And I got used to it, and before long, you you settled in, and I moved up. I made a few A's after that, so.
4: A's aren't necessary to graduate.
0: No, and they're not. No, no. They take a C. Uh, no, there's only one A in <laughs> diploma. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs>
1: when you were at Sam Houston, what did you think of Dallas PD, and what was your impression,
0: and what drew you to apply here? Dallas – or Sam Houston pushed Dallas PD a lot. Um I had one professor, I remember his name, I had to think about it last night, but his name was Jerry Dowling, and um, he, I just remember I had several classes with him, and it was all Dallas, go to Dallas, Dallas this, Dallas that, and it wasn't until I hired on with Dallas that I found out that Sam Houston had started a remote learning program, this is obviously in the 80s, Was there was no online learning back then. But Sam Houston would send professors up here, so that DPD officers could get their and I, I, I say DPD. I'm assuming other agencies could too, but they could get their degree and not have to drive to Huntsville every day, and um, and that was new. I mean, it, not a lot of places were doing that, and and so that made most of the professors at Sam Houston they just always sang because they were making trips up I-45 and so they just and they could see that dallas was very uh even back then they were very uh they had a lot more technology than other cities even houston you know houston was only fif only 40 miles away but yet it was all about dallas <laughs> and uh yeah and 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 so they and they always pushed it and even though it's sam houston i mean it being it was criminal justice they every department and agency in the united states was advertised there the professors always talked about dallas and so a lot of us came up here you know
1: what was your impression of dallas so i mean you did you ever see the dallas tv show
0: Yes. I okay. watched it all the time. <laughs> oh, yeah. Really? <laughs> yeah. yeah. J- Pusha J.R. J- yeah. yeah. J.R.
1: Ewan fan or Bobby Ewan fan? Yeah. Who, who'd you <laughs> use
0: like more? Uh, I was more J.R. fan. I didn't tell you. Yeah. He just yeah. the yeah. devil. Yeah. So yeah. When you were in
4: school, did you think about going home or what were? Did, where was your mind when you were getting really close to graduating about where you wanted to go?
0: Well, I, I, I actually, did, I I did apply with Austin PD. hmm uh, they, they were actually they were actually the first agency I ever applied with, and I applied with them when I was a junior in college. And I, I always remember I was number 40 on the list and they hired 21, so I didn't make it. And then after that, and, and uh, in a, another thing the professors always told us, start applying early and apply a lot because you learn the application and you get better at applying. You, get, you learn what to say, how to say it, and all that. And so Austin was kind of a, a trial run. But then the other big thing about Dallas was, as we all know now, and I think we're the only ones to do it, you know, you do everything in one week. You know, whereas with like with Austin, I had to keep going back and forth, back and forth. Um, when I came to DFW, I applied with Dallas. And while I was in Dallas doing my one week, I also applied with Richardson, Irving, farmers branch Carrollton Arlington Um, but all of those made you you know they said okay well you know we'll call you in two weeks and you have to make another trip call you make another." whereas Dallas you were done took four days and I was finished except my background you know and then you just wait and so Dallas always had that figured out how how the, the fastest way to hire people
4: well in San Antonio they were down there and I one of my instructors said hey just take see what it's like go through the process get your feet wet, and I did that. Next thing you know, I was getting hired, and they did everything on site down there in San so they, Antonio. They would figured yeah, it out? Yeah, they had it out. I mean, this was several years
0: later, but they did it all down there. I didn't even have to come up here. Only came up here for my psych test. You know, in, in San Antonio, right around the late 80s, yeah, it would have been right as I was graduating college. That's when they got the big collective bargaining agreement, which made them like the second highest paid department in the nation. And so every cop wanted to go work down there, yeah. you know, and I just knew.
4: And that process was t- tough. I remember watching the news. They announced a test. People would get in line yeah. just to take the test, and it was really competitive. Right? Yeah. Taking that, uh, the civil service test, it was, it was wild how long it took people to get hired there, mm-hmm. and the fire department
1: was the same way. You hired on in 1988. Um, what month did you uh, graduate? November. Eighty-eight. No, it's at the end. Nineteen eighty-eight was one of Dallas PD's worst years. We lost five officers. We lost Officer James Allen Joe, Officer John Glenn Chase, Officer Gary McCarthy, Officer Walter Williams, and Senior Corporal Lawrence Cadena. I believe Williams. He was he was killed while you were in the academy. On my birthday. Oh wow. Yeah. When you were a rookie, and in your class, and, and being a young man, and coming to a city that looked like we were under attack from a police, yeah. how what were y'all thinking? And how were you, when Williams was, was killed? How was how did the academy tell y'all? And, and what was y'all's reaction? And what was yours?
0: Well, first, um, excuse me. Um, you know, we actually lost seven. Wow. well, everyone uh, cuz Sandell and Fleming were That's in, right. in in a 12-month period we lost seven officers. Yeah. Um, but um, that was a car wreck and yeah. The, yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh but Captain Rick Stone was our uh, was the commander of the academy when I was in the academy and uh, I remember him coming in and uh at the at that that morning and telling, telling telling all the rookies, all of us what happened and he just he was real blunt. He's like you know, y'all are going out there to into a dangerous world and, and uh, you're expected to stand up and fight and bad things happen. So let's get on with class. And then you just move on. And There wasn't a lot of talk about it in the academy that I remember. It was just like, it was, uh, you know, it's an unfortunate uh, and a horrible part of this job, but it happens, you know yeah it happens but that that particular whole year was just oh that thank God that year never happened again but
1: uh. thank God you know i uh I was talking to uh one of the first responders that when when chase on on his deal his his when chase got killed out there in that parking lot that was terrible I mean he no. you know everybody I mean we we know what happened a lot of listeners probably have no clue I'm going to eventually get that first responder on uh and uh Nancy Barden she you know described showing up and 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 finding him there so and then what what happened to him when at that time in Dallas there was a lot of anti police rhetoric that was going on and uh, there was a lot of uh people there was a basically a mentally ill person uh fought him and, and got his gun and they had a pretty bad knockdown drag out in that parking lot on by uh, Commerce Mm -hmm. and got his gun and basically he's begging for his life and 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 the guy and there was a lot of citizens that were urging him on to to shoot and that's what happened yep
5: the death of all these officers that make you question your career choice at this point
0: no no it really didn't i mean uh like i said i don't really know i had no law enforcement in in my family and um I had no military in my family. I don't know why. I just, I just wanted to be a cop, and I just figured.
4: How about anybody in your, else in your class? Was there any wavering, or were they all pretty headstrong, or any concern, or
0: it was just? We had one girl, um, that a few weeks later quit the academy. She never said why. I assume that had something to do with it. Um, but uh, we did have one one girl that did.
1: Randy, I don't know if you remember, we had a female after Brown got killed out there on that traffic stop when we were in the class. She, she quit. Was that she, that gray girl? Yes, gray.
4: Really, I never knew that was why she did that. Yeah. Hmm. She gave me pots and pans.
1: No, well, there you go.
0: <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah. All right, we he's <laughs> got something that's, out that's, of it. <laughs> let's 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 move on. <laughs> But what kind of pots? Yeah. I mean se- they were they were, they they were better or?
4: what I had. I had nothing, so I had something afterwards.
1: <laughs> well, at least she's still in your thoughts. Yeah. yeah. Lance, after you graduated, what what part of town did you go to?
0: I went to Northwest. We were uh, but back when we were on Shorecrest. The station was on Shorecrest at Bachman Lake.
1: What kind of work did you gravitate towards? Jason Dope. Oh yeah? Yep. Hmm, that's like a common theme here with everybody here in this room. <laughs> you know, Chief Foy over there. Uh, what'd you like about that? What the excitement, the the physicality, the the challenge? What was it? It was the challenge.
0: It really was.
1: And uh, hey, you know what? We we we've mentioned chasing dope all the damn time in all these episodes. Even going back to Misty, Misty's episode. That was one of her big lines in the damn opening: chasing dope. Mm -hmm. can you hey tell the listener i mentioned my tell the listener what that actually is and what that means when you're out there in patrol
0: it's uh trying to catch describe how northwest guys did it compared to southeast guys
1: yeah well Well, i want to know yeah uh and
0: and so the listener knows there's there's usually only a, a small group of officers that do it and uh and you you know where your street dealing drug dealers are. It, it kind of goes back to a little bit of beat beat policing. You you know the neighborhood. You know who's supposed to be there, who's not, and you learn to spot the guys that are selling drugs on the street. They know they're selling. They know that you know they're selling, and it's a challenge to catch them. And uh, and so it involves. I mean, it, it involves some. I mean, we did some hiding in trees, um, crawling around in the bushes. We'd cl- we climb on roofs of houses. We'd hide inside vacant apartments. In the Texas heat. In the Texas heat. In uniform. In yeah, uniform. Full uniform. Here's a good one. I guess I can say this now. It's been 30 years. Say whatever you want. Okay. One night we had, uh, there was a whole bunch of guys out selling drugs, and it was our usual crew and of guys and we were trying to figure out how to catch them and we thought you know let's let's go to the station and we'll grab some keys to one of the deployment pickup trucks okay and so <laughs> somebody was telling a very similar story <laughs> earlier yeah. today. oh it gets better oh it yeah. gets better it, <laughs> it gets better so we get the keys of the pickup truck and we go by the fire station they're on Lombardi, forty-three station, and forty, and you know, back then the DFD supplied the firemen with these really nice denim jackets to wear. I guess they were fireproof. I don't, I don't know whatever, but they had no markings on them. Denim, huh? Yeah, right. yeah. They don't know what denim is, but, <laughs> yeah. but so we we it's, borrowed. It's badass is what it is. So, so we borrowed a denim jacket from one, and I put it on to cover my uniform up. And I drove the truck, and five cops laid in the bed of the pickup truck, and we drove right up and when the guys came up to sell me dope because they didn't i was had I was all covered, they jumped out of the bed of the truck, and the chase was on, and the whole point was to grab as many guys as you could before they threw their dope down and uh, grab them and yeah Lance, you know what's so amusing about that story <laughs> before you walked in. <laughs>
5: Probably ten years after the fact, Joe King and Misty over here are doing the exact same thing, yeah. and just a different location, right? And they were telling it, that story before you came in, and it, it I
1: mean, yeah. cops don't change. Is it astro? No, you they know don't. what? I gotta say though, I don't know if that's going on now. No, I doubt. I, I seriously <laughs> doubt it's going on. now. Chief Foy squirming over there. He's like, oh, <laughs> damn, may not be. No. <laughs>
0: No, and there's, uh, and, and it's funny when, uh, and I'm sure we'll get into this later on in the, but when you, when you get out of the state and you start talking to other cops around the country, and you start talking about stories, yeah, it's the same stories. Whether it's in Midland, Texas, Pennsylvania State Highway Patrol, Montana, it's the same type of stories same it's it's it, that's why we're all one big brotherhood no matter where you go it's the same stuff Or well, those are the best stories though oh yeah right? you know and um, they're not lies those are the truth i mean they're, no they're yeah. not and
1: that's you know some some listeners i'll embellish no right? there's nothing embellished no
0: who are some of your old running buddies you can give them a shout out rich emberlin was my first partner uh he and I kind of started our own little hookbooks and all that stuff and, and, and the hookbooks. Yeah. Can you describe what that is? A hookbook was uh, uh, either a extra whip out book or a Steno pad that you kept track of your criminals, your drug dealers, felons, and you kept their names, their pictures. Their birthdays, their alias names, their mama's names, their brothers and sisters' names their their addresses, the cars they drove, nicknames, nicknames, street names, yeah. so that you could find them again like when they're wanted or if if uh someone asked you if someone had a street name you know um, um, I can't think of one now, but you could go back to your book and help and help them out say so, well that guy's real name is this, you know, and uh but anyway, uh, yeah, Rich and then um, uh, Scott Eggleston, Egg was my longtime partner, and we we had a good reputation out there, and uh, had a good good time. Yeah,
1: so. that's what I remember. What I, you know, you mentioned before. We, you told a very, you know, I don't, I don't, I I question the truth of that story you said off air about the first time that I interacted with you at the jail, but. <laughs> We I probably uh, don't want to go I, into that. It's all true. We, it's yeah. all true. We, you, no, you I don't recall this. You said that I came up and didn't there I'm first time I'd ever talked to you and I showed you a very unfortunate pick. And it <laughs> still, still to this day is burned in in your my memory. Memory,
0: <laughs> yes. You know, yeah.
1: You
4: you're not the only one that's happened to. Yeah. yeah.
1: No, but I, I would see you know, we would always see each other at the gym. Yeah. The, and you would see the same people from Southwest, from Northwest, uh South you know, uh, South Central wasn't open at that time. We all would see each other there. Yeah. But you and Egg were always, always I mean, the same damn time we were.
0: You go, it was, it was a, uh, and, and and my wife was the same, she was up there. She chased Dope in West Dallas with her partners. And you saw the same people. Because like I said, every station had their group that did it. And and, and I'm not saying, because there were some cops who loved to work wrecks. Awesome. You guys go work wrecks because we didn't like working them, but some guys like doing that. Some just wanted to answer calls. Some like DWIs. DWIs. Yeah, just everybody. And that's one of the things about a big city like Dallas. And you, if that's your what you wanted to do, you could find a way to just do that, you know. But yeah, same same group of guys. We that's how we all knew each other, and and uh, so much fun, so much fun,
5: Lance. So, everyone that I ever knew that uh, chased Dope, right, they had mm-hmm. a shelf life for the most part. There's only a handful that didn't. Yeah. You and Egg were ones that didn't because the time I came on, you were pretty much a veteran officer, and you were still going to jail all the time. That's where I first met you, mm-hmm. right? King was the same way. I mean, he, he you didn't you didn't leave that type of work for many years. What kept you in the game? W-
0: what kept me doing that? Yeah. Because it was fun. Well, I, I, <laughs> <laughs>
1: But
5: most officers, they do it for a couple of years and then they move on to something else. And then they live oh. off
1: same war story
0: for the next 20 years. <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, at the time, I and, and I did not want to be a sergeant. And in the long run, this ended up hurting me, I guess. But I was having so much fun doing that stuff, I didn't want to stop doing it. Now – eventually what stopped me was the birth of my first child because then you go wow that stuff's pretty dangerous that i'm doing out there maybe i need to and so i i I slowed down when that happened and even egg my partner he'll he'll tell you too he'll say yeah i remember when when your son was born all of a sudden you were letting me be the first one in and all that (laughs) yeah and so uh things changed yeah did did that answer your question or was your? Oh no, that's it.
1: Okay, I know that feeling with the with a child yeah. coming into the picture.
0: And Sweet. the practical jokes were always also on watch. <laughs> yeah, well, that's a whole other world. Yeah, there's
1: that. a lot of those. Yeah, Misty and I have done that. Things a few you can't times do each now, other. So. Practical jokes, <laughs> well, like hey like hey, hey game in the, the play. yeah
0: <laughs> yeah like hiding lockers in the in the parking lot and putting ducks in the backseat of cars and stuff like that. Yeah.
2: Yeah, that's not in the mo-
0: <laughs>
1: that's not just in the movies that that shit actually happens. Yeah, yeah. So you mentioned you never become a sergeant. You didn't want to take a supervisory role. You became an FTO in 1995, right? Right. So can you explain to the listener what an FTO is? There's a lot of non-police that listen.
0: FTO stands for Field Training Officer um, <clears throat> in DPD and in most agencies. When rookies get out of the academy, they um, get put with a field training officer for a designated amount of time in dallas it's six months um and uh in dallas is broken up between three different field training officers and uh anyway you're you are there to field train or to do daily observations a mentor a mentor uh for these young usually young officers sometimes you have older officers that come through um and just help them take what they learned in the academy and live it on the job. Take the rules that are applied and actually use them.
1: What did that mean to you to be a FTO? I mean, in what style did you kind of use? Because we have some just screaming type of FTOs. We have patient. We have uh, some FTOs just aren't as good of a conveyor of a message or teacher. What, what did you do?
0: Um. <clears throat> I took out of my uh, – Eddie Crawford was the trainer that I had. That uh, And I think Eddie, I'm not going to upset him when I say this. I really didn't learn a whole lot of police work from Eddie. I learned some. But the main thing I learned from him was how to deal with people, how to turn the squad car into a learning environment as opposed to a screaming environment. You know, you never, I never yelled at rookies in public. I never talked down to them in public. I never talked to them around other officers. I, ne- I surely never did it in the field around citizens. If you had to sh- scream and chew out a rookie, and there was a few I had to yell and holler and cuss at, but I did it when it was just the rookie and I together. And uh, I, I, and let me get back up a minute. In 95, when I started training, I really was too young and I should not have been training back then because, you know, we just got in the car and I just, let's just get them in a fight every night. Well, yeah. you know, you're not, you should, <laughs> yeah, it's fun, but you, you don't, you learn if one, you don't, you shouldn't do that. You should be out there teaching. And, uh, I didn't really, really get into being what I thought was a good field training officer till later on when you kind of settled down and realized, hey, I've got a job. I'm not here to just show off that I'm a senior officer. I need to teach something, you know. And that's what I started doing. And, 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 and I loved it. I loved being a field training officer most of the time. Every once in a while you had a rookie that made you drink a lot. But, uh, yeah. What did you get from it, of knowing that you
1: are putting together a better human being and a better officer for, the, for their future?
0: made me felt like I was doing my job, like I was <clears throat> uh, the way I felt like policing should be, where you know, earn the respect of the citizens and and things like that. You you imparted that, and you hope that the recruit you were teaching would take that. And I really felt like, uh, uh, and and then what always what any FTO loves to hear is from a recruit that you ch- uh, trained. Five years ago, for them to come to you and say, "Hey, something that you taught me, I did that with my recruiter, or that's what got me through this situation, or something like that," it makes you feel good that hey, they actually listened to me, and uh, could have saved a life. Yeah, Yeah.
1: probably. I'm sure you have. Yeah. I want to talk about an incident in November 2001. You're working that extra job. Uh, We've already have had on uh, Detective Jancy and he talked about his partnership with uh kevin james mm-hmm. and you were working at an extra job that night and and can you kind of describe to the listener because kev uh kevin wasn't there the night at that he was he was his partner with james and you were actually at that at that uh club at dmx yep. can you can you talk about that whole scene and just kind of paint the listener a picture of what
0: happened definitely the worst night of my life um really cold that night. We were working an extra job. It was myself, Sergeant Mark King, Officer Clarence Lockett, and Kevin James. Clarence was actually my, my partner at work. We were actually assigned to the community policing unit together at the time. So we were actually partners. And uh, so that night, uh, it's about 2 o'clock, and the owner of the bar um, had called me up to the front door, Cause a girl had got beaten up inside and he wanted me to take a report on her getting assaulted. So I'm standing at the front door, taking the report and it was an elevated porch or uh, front door. And, um, at the bottom of the, of the of the stairs is, it was a valet parking 20 feet away from us. <clears throat> and so I'm up there by myself. Mark King is right at the bottom of the stairs And I didn't know where where KJ and Clarence were because the way the night would work is two officers stayed in the back parking lot and two stayed at the front. And uh, Mark King and I were at the front. And so around 2 o'clock, KJ and Clarence had come to the front. And once, you know, I didn't – that's just what they did. So you didn't – I assume they were – I didn't know where they were. And uh, so I'm at the front taking the report and I hear shots and – that wasn't uncommon at that bar heard shots people shot in the parking lot a lot but these were right close i mean you could tell they were like right behind me so i remember the owner of the bar he just turned tail and ran back inside and i remember getting on all fours and crawling uh trying to crawl down the stairs looking trying to figure out where the shots came from and i looked over and you could hear the shots and there was multiple shots and then I look over and I see Mark King in getting a, shooting at somebody. And once again, Joe, they're as close as the end of this table. And I can see him shooting in a direction. It's like holy shit, you know. So I get up and run to Mark, and then we both start chasing what ends up being Lechil Escamilla out into the parking lot. And we're chasing, and it's the old. He's turning and shooting at us while we're running. But we didn't, I never shot at him then because we learned in, shooting and running, it ain't like the movies. You're not going to hit anything that you shoot at. But I remember we chased him across the parking lot, and he runs over across the parking lot uh, to there's two Suburbans parked back to back, and he starts trying to carjack two girls in the first Suburban. And so Mark and I are yelling, screaming at him, drop the gun, drop the gun, drop the gun. And, and But we couldn't shoot him because he was engaged with two females. Yeah. Well, we didn't know that the suburban behind them had the, the brothers of the girls that were in that suburban. So they get out of the suburban, and they run up and tackle Leecho. So now we got, and once again, we didn't know you know, you, I mean, you talk about chaos, I mean, and, and and so there's a pile of bodies. They roll in the street, and Mark and I are still screaming, and and we see the gun slide across, and then we see Licho pick the gun up, and he's he's about to shoot the brothers, and that's when Mark and I shoot him, and I shot him in the in the uh, hip, and Mark shot him in the chin, and he goes down. We run over. We, we we jump on top of Leecho. Mark grabs the gun. Uh, no, I'm sorry. Mark didn't grab the gun. One of the brothers grabs the gun. And he's about to shoot Leecho <laughs> while we're on top of Leecho. And luckily, we were able to scream and holler at, at the brothers to to stop. And they put the gun down. And so... We, we we get the gun, we handcuff Lecho, and literally Mark and I are cuz we have no idea what's happened back at the park back at the front door. Uh, and uh and we we like do this, we check each other, see if we have bullet holes. We pat we we high five. We're like, "All right, we got him, you know. We got this guy." And then we we hear the sirens cuz I'd been on the radio calling for cover. And all in these, and we're letter. We're we're in the street. We're, we got it. We, we're in the middle of Spangler Road, and these squad cars are driving right past us, and we're going, "What the fuck? Why isn't anyone stopping for us?" You know, and they're they're not stu- and we don't know why. And finally, uh, um, Robert Robert Viaba, he stops, and and we're like, "Man, thanks." And and he and he's like. Uh, uh, y'all y'all go ahead and go help over there i'll i'll take take this guy and so robert loads it loads up leecho and that's when we go back to the to the uh, front door and that's when we found that kj you know i go up and 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 they're, they're, and they start telling us at the scene that uh, kj has been shot and clarence has been shot and mark and i are like what the f-, you know We're just like what the fuck is going on and Clarence is screaming bloody murder because he got shot in the hand and uh and so I have to go over and, and literally shake him to get him to calm down and that's when I go over and and I remember seeing Egg my my old partner doing um um trying to do CPR on KJ and that's when I looked down and I saw you know he didn't have much of a head left and uh and uh you know it just went down I, you know I, I don't know what else to say we we sat in the car egg was with me and uh hang on a second and so after uh so i see egg doing um cpr and then of course when we have to start clearing the parking lot because they were going to try to they had to get an ambulance in there and and um of course, KJ was dead at the scene. And uh, I remember it was raining cops. Some sergeants got there, took over the scene. And then, of course, since Mark and I were involved in the shooting, we got put in cars by ourselves and, uh, you know, waiting for, for the lawyers and stuff to get there. And Egg was my companion officer. And this is when I'll probably start crying again here in a minute. Um, he said him sitting there and going, you know, you hang on, I'll get through it. You yeah, know, you don't have to stop. Let me get through it. He said, uh, he said, man, you know, you and I worked out here all this time and all those shots, and, and when you got on the hang on, I'll get through it. He said, when 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 you got on the radio and started calling for cover, he said, I could tell there's something different. There. So anyway, I remember Egg saying, saying, you know, when I heard you calling for cover and putting that foot chase out, it was there's was something different in your voice, and uh, and that's because he was going home that night. He had, he had turned his keys in. He was working that night, and I remember he told me he said he had put his keys down and he heard me and he ran back and got his keys and sprinted down the hall and came out and he was one of the first ones there and he he talked about having to scoop the the dip of. Copenhagen out of KJ's lip so he could start doing trying to do CPR and it was horrible um, but no they they put us in the cars and we waited on the attorneys and, and um, we did walkthroughs and And I remember that whole night <clears throat> um, cell phones were relatively new back then and I kept trying to call my wife who's, a, who's a, an officer also and tell her and she didn't turns out she wasn't answering the phone because our daughter i think was having a anyway, she had to go upstairs and sleep with our daughter because she was having bad dreams or i don't know what but she, but she wasn't by the phone and so when she got up in the morning she saw the 50 billion messages i left and uh i remember telling her yeah, i'll be home they're going to cut me loose here in, in a little bit and and i remember driving home and and getting out there in the parking lot and she just just hugging her in the parking lot and You know, K.J.'s dead. And like, oh, geez. And uh, he was the first good friend that I ever had that was killed in line of duty like that. Just a horrible murder. And, uh, yeah, so, anyway.
5: Lance, um, I was in the academy when that went down. I was the first officer, obviously, that would have been killed. Mm -hmm. And then they came and talked to us repeatedly. And all your years as a cop, was that the first time you had to use your gun? Yep. And it wasn't Jason Dope.
0: And it was not Jason Dope. It's amazing. Let me ask you this. No.
4: Had, had you known what happened prior to you catching
0: up to him, would things have ended differently? Probably. And, and, and let me uh, touch on something else. Um, we, Mark King and I, had to listen to that a lot from other cops. Why didn't y'all kill that some bitch out there? If you don't know, you don't know. You know we have to, and you have to explain. We thought the guy was shooting in the air. We we didn't know anything happened back there. You know, and then the other one that that drove me nuts, and 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 um, there was officers when I get when when things were all when the funeral was over. Things were all settling down. Guys were going back to work. Of course, Clarence, my partner, he had been shot in the hand. He was—he didn't go back to work because his hand was jacked up bad. And uh, I started hearing rumors that people were questioning why Clarence didn't do anything. And i never forget this, and I won't say this officer's name, but he worked Love Field at the time. Someone told me it was just one certain officer. And I remember driving out to Love Field and confronting him. And saying what the fuck are you do, you know, and he backtracked and apologized. And said Clarence had been shot in the hand, and he would just watched his friend get his head blown off, you know, and he was. La- I mean, he did everything he could. He could not physically, and, and this officer apologized, and you know, Lance, but that's what goes on.
5: On my deal, we had people like questioning why we didn't kill the guy. Yeah, fuck them, right. Right. They weren't there. They can't Monday morning quarterback you. All right. They can't.
0: And and that's the way we, you know, we, you, when, when everything comes and that's maybe that plays into why I started teaching and talking about it more because then you could start telling everybody, hey, this is why, because we did not know, you know, what happened until too late. And you
4: know? I hope you don't yeah. think I was questioning. I just, no, 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 I, I figured, no. Because was, people need to know, know that y'all didn't know what what had happened. So. When I
0: when I would teach at the academy, we would <clears throat> part of the lesson was uh, when horrible incidents like that occur. You as an officer have an obligation to get the full story, and I mean the full story before you start making accusations or whatever. You know, you need to know everything that happened from the eyes of the people that were there before you start saying you should have done this or Monday, you know, before you start Monday morning quarter quarterbacking. So.
1: From a department standpoint, as far as availability of psych services for people that were involved in, in, in critical incidents like that were everybody there, you're still affected. You're still affected to this day. Yeah. What did the department, did the department have anything set up uh, that that you took advantage of to maybe
0: like as opposed to recovery? Back then it was a joke. Yeah. We were uh, uh, told to visit Dr. Soma de We saw him one time. It came down to, are you sleeping good? Yeah. Okay, you're good to go. And that was it. They did send and during KJ's after KJ shooting. They sent Doctor Solanavia and a couple of other doctors to our uh, community policing unit because we had a KJ and Clarence were both in that. We were all in that unit, and there was about ten of us. And uh, they sent a couple of do- of uh, uh, psycho the psychologist or psychiatrist. Yeah. I'm not sure which. In to talk to us, but it was, as we all know in here, you got to pry that information out of cops. you got to make them talk about it, and they did not it was how y'all doing everyone doing okay okay, see you later, and they walked out. Did it feel like
1: a just half assed check in the box yeah thing yeah yeah I do think today they've
0: gotten a lot better, yeah it's better compared than what it was. to what it was, it's gotten a lot better
1: well the an officer's mindset and their approach to being self more self aware <clears throat> that's gotten better as well too that i i maybe i need maybe i'm maybe the, me being affected by this so much is normal right as yeah. opposed to being weak right because yeah. we're all tough men and women we're not well nowadays
0: I look at uh, when you watch on the news and they show a police shooting whatever and the news just nonchalantly says, and well, like the most recent shooting down in Duncanville just happened. Yeah, they nonchalantly say, and the officers killed the guy in the parking lot. Move on and go. Well, wait a minute. The officer that just killed that guy has to live with the fact that he took a human life, and no matter what situation, you still have to live with that. And 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 you can hide that, and that's still hard to live with. You got to figure out a way to live with that. Even if you do it in, a, I mean, it had to be done, but you still have to live with a very traumatic event.
4: I think that's yeah. one of the most, the biggest misperceptions, or that that that's, that's normal citizens think that we want to kill people, or that it happens. Nobody wants it's no, no big fucking deal. I mean, we're human beings, and it's not like we're just. They act like we're just going around there executing right. people, and it's not the truth because it's, it takes a toll on people. 20 plus years later being involved in something like that Uh, fortunately i never had to do anything like that but i can't imagine Mm -hmm. what people go through when they do that
1: well the great uh chris webb he talked about in his episode that he's been on with with our swat members that had he didn't he didn't have to pull the trigger himself but he had been on with his teammates that did and he saw the effect of that individual and just the whole team during that time and it's
0: it's real yeah yeah
5: lance Mm -hmm. if the Would you have been receptive to mandated uh, treatment back then?
0: Yeah. Well, yeah, I think I would have. I know because it was – I mean, now with the training that we get in the academy or uh, that we would get from in-service, when they tell you about all the uh, symptoms of, I guess you can say, post-traumatic stress – I look back, and I had every single one of those symptoms back then. And,
4: and I know, you know? You, we haven't – well, I want to ask questions about it later on, but I know you've been involved with the ATO over years with fundraising and doing different things. Do you know how, much, how soon after this shooting they, the ATO started the counseling, and were you able to take advantage of that then, or do you recall any off the top of your head?
0: No, there was nothing back during this shooting in two thousand one. Well, I know, but oh. a-
4: afterwards, I know ATO started that. But do you know if any of thing that happened since you were palling around with Eddie at the time and
0: it did nothing that I was that I was okay. involved? No,
1: I don't. Mm-hmm. All right, we're gonna jump right into another okay shit situation you you found yourself into in in two thousand three, right? Yep. You're out still, ch- chasing dope. Chasing dope. Okay.
0: He <laughs> tells it was hap- fun. Yeah, it was fun <laughs> until it and it's fun until it's not. Yeah, but uh, everyone has a plan until they get punched in the mouth. Yeah, great,
1: Mike Tyson. <laughs> yep. um, can you tell the listener what happened and in, in, why you were
0: chasing dope in 'O <clears> three? <throat> well, I had uh, and and I. Egg and I laugh about this all the time now, but uh, I had got crossways with a sergeant that I was working on the day shift with, and I got cross and I quit and I went to deep nights, okay, <laughs> to work with Egg again because he was my favorite partner. And I said, "Let's go back to work together. We're gonna have fun chasing dope." And we get were getting the on, band back together. Yeah, getting the group, getting the old band back yeah. together. Had a great sergeant, Carlton Marshall was our sergeant. Um. You know, and we were on it, and that's what we that's what that night squad was. their whole job was to chase dope, not answer calls, chase dope so that night, um that night, actually, Joe Allen was my partner, y'all know Joe mm-hmm. because Egg wasn't feeling good, so he was working plain clothes that night, and so um Rick martinez um and one other officer. I can't remember who it was. I'll, the name will come to me here in a minute. Um, found out about a drug house. They sat up and watched it. And they, they watched multiple people go back and forth. And so the plan was, Egg was in plain clothes, so he was going to go up and knock on the front door so that when they looked through the peephole, they'd see someone in plain clothes. And then when they opened the door to make the sale, I'd step in front with the uniform and we would make the arrest at the scene, at the door. Well, instead of making the arrest, Egg knocks, they open the door, the guy sticks his hand out with the dope to make the sale. I grab the hand like an idiot, get in a fight, we crash through, and as soon as the door opens, a guy named Manuel Gonzalez shot me in Egg with a shotgun. Where'd you get hit? I got hit in the face, the shoulder, uh, the, the forearm, the shoulder, and uh, Egg was to my right, so I was covering his left side. So he got everything. Um, he got some in the in the lung, um, in the shoulder, and in the face also. But it happened so fast. You know, I, even in court, I couldn't even identify because it it, as soon as the door opened, boom, we got shot and went down. Is this is like a flash. I mean, all I remember is a flash. And I remember laying on the ground on on the on the on the carpet in the apartment. And I remember rolling over, and I remember seeing orange. It turns out it was the bottom of a of a couch. And you know, I always go back to training. And I remember when I was in the academy, George Evenden and Jay Stevens telling us if you ever go down, just move. And I remember just thinking, move. You got to move. And I and I crawled out into the into the uh on the sidewalk and uh i was in a lot of pain because i was you know i'd been shot and and i didn't and i was and i couldn't move my arm and 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 i was feeling my face and all i could feel was blood everywhere and i was freaking out and i remember seeing egg over there screaming and waving his gun up up in the air and i was worried about him And I laugh about this today, but I remember this one young female officer uh, comes over and she starts praying over me. Now, I'm a Christian. I don't mind you praying over it, but I remember yelling at her. I said, Becky, I'm not dead. (laughs) (laughs) We laugh about it now. It was serious at the time. I'm not dead. (laughs) And, uh, Anyway, the prayers obviously work because I'm here. Yeah, it did. And uh, uh, anyway, and, and 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 I remember, you know, and the, the ambulance sh- and the ambulance guys show up and um, uh, haul us off to the hospital. And the whole time I'm trying to ask, you know, how's my how's egg? How's my partner? How's my partner? How's my partner? And you know, everyone tell him, he's going to be okay, he's going to be fine, and uh, get to the hospital. And I remember, this is when I realized that Parkland Hospital is nothing more than a machine. They have ways of doing things, and they don't give a shit if they inflict any pain on you or not. Because their job is to keep you alive, not comfortable. And uh, I remember on the table in there, they stripped all my clothes off, rolled me over. One doctor sticks his finger in my ass, and I remember... (laughs) Remember what are you doing? <laughs> and it was just i just shot in the, the face. It was, it was procedure. I said, "Okay." Are you sure he was a doctor? Yeah. I, I don't know. You know. Yeah. And then the real doctor came. Yeah. In, and then the sure. real doctor came. Were you at the hospital? Yeah. yeah. But, you didn't get a good look at him, right? But but the scary part, the scary part of that was the, I, I heard one of the doctors saying, "We need to make sure we don't have to amputate his arm." Now that scared the crap out of me. Yeah, and then, I, then I went out, and then they knocked me out, and I woke up uh, later on that night, and all bandaged up. I still had my arm, so that was good. My wife was there. Um, and which
1: arm? Which arm was it? My right arm. And, and that's your gun hand. Yeah. Okay.
0: Yeah. Just one shot. One shot. Buckshot. Buck. Uh, no, uh, bird, bird it was, shot. It was bird. Okay. Because all everything's still. All the BBs are still in me. Oh wow! Yeah, they never took any of them out. Now you can. Oh, I see oh wow! It. Yeah. Wow! Yeah, <laughs> listener, damn. Yeah, yeah. yeah it, looks, it looks like a.
4: They are like trying a, to get to those a, through the with
0: your finger. Yeah, ass. that's <laughs> yeah. how <they laughs> got It them. looks like a crackle, uh, <laughs> yeah. like Absolutely. a candy bar. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, like a yeah. There you go, like yeah, <laughs> or, uh, like a Nestle Crunch bar. Yeah, yeah. Crackle. <laughs> crackle. Is that, a, is that some sort of – No, there's crackle. It's <laughs> no, <crackle>. <laughs> odd <laughs> reference. Well. Uh, but, but, you know, there was so much other parts of that. Like my wife was working that night. Can you say your wife's name? You, you Kim mentioned? Crawford. Okay. A much better cop than I ever was. And uh, Shout out, Kim. Um, she was working that night. And, and, of course, when the shooting happened, the officers uh, – uh, uh, I'm just going on what people told me. Obviously, that I, I'm assuming someone called. No, someone called 911, and also there were officers at the scene saying, "We need, um, we need cover up here. We got two officers down." Well, my wife knew the area, and she just assumed and she was working West Dallas, and so she said she started screaming, "North Code three, and Carlton Marshall, one of the greatest sergeants you could ever work for, he he. He called her. I don't know if he sent her, told her to go to ten, or if he called her on the phone. I think he told her to go to ten. And for listeners out there, ten is a is a general conversation radio uh, police radio channel. And he told her, "Slow down, slow down. He's he's gonna be okay. Don't get in a wreck trying to get here, you know." And she showed up. She went to the hospital with me and stayed with me. And uh, um, but yeah.
3: How did
0: that affect your marriage? I made uh, it stronger, yeah. Because that was and my my poor kids, you know, they got pulled out of school. And uh, I remember, my my sister in law came over that morning um, to watch the kids, and because um, my wife called my brother, who had, and he sent my sister in law over to get them ready, and and she didn't know what to tell my kids. They were little. They were. Um, seven and five I think at the time or eight and I don't remember the ages exactly but uh you know they got up and saw my sister-in-law their aunt there and and then my aunt's like uh your mom and dad got tied up at work going to school and uh then they got called out of school later and Kim went up and got them brought them up to the hospital and and then it was the long rehab and everything else and that was a whole nother. Dealing with workers' comp it was a nightmare. I remember. Uh, luckily, I had. There was a really good hand and arm doctor that loved the cops, loved police. And so he, because we were, because I was a cop, he accepted me as a patient, and so I got really good care for the elbow on down. The face, they couldn't find one, so I had to go to Parkland and sit in line with all the criminals and family violence suspects and everything else while they worked on my face, and it was a, a joke. but you know, They made I'm you handsome that. now. So that I, yeah. They did a good yeah. job, mm-hmm. so you got great care. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What happened so, to the guy that shot you? He actually just got out of prison. They charged him with two counts of attempt capital murder. He got found guilty of both. He was given 20 years. And I remember the DA telling us, he said, you know, 20 years on this type, you should figure he'll, the max he'll do is about 18 and a half. And he actually did 18 and a half. Because every time he'd come up for parole, they would deny him. So, how old was the bad guy at the time? My wife actually has his birthday memorized. Um, I think he was 21, maybe. Something like that. Real young. Yeah. So
1: again, two years after getting into that one incident and the, uh, these, they're starting to stack up, yeah. <laughs> yeah. you know, now you almost get head blown off and arm yeah. blown off by a shotgun. What after that, did you already have a child at this time? I had two. Okay. Yeah. All right. So from your, your work ethic and what you love to do for fun and what you were great at, did that incident change your perspective on what you wanted to do for the rest of your career
0: and, and what direction
1: you were gonna start going towards?
0: Uh well, I wanted to um continue I wanted to start training rookies as much as possible. I I enjoyed doing that. Uh I went to the academy, was a class advisor, um twice. Really enjoyed that um because i just like the mentoring part of being and 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 I, i learned also you know that i think one of the reasons why young cops get in trouble when they get out on the street is they get they don't have uh older mentors to teach them the right way to do things and still have fun doing it um I always thought that was the problem. Why you, you always see on the news when officers get in trouble now, it's always the south stations, and it always seems to me like there's a lot of turnover in those stations. So you don't have a lot of seniority, um, which we didn't have that issue in Northwest. I had, you know, I had seven eight year officers um, that that I worked around that would. If you wanted if you were about to do something stupid they would look at you and call you dumbass and say no we don't do that and and you learned and you you know and if you don't have those those older mentors to te- you're gonna because we all know it's real easy to get in trouble unless you know unless you're just a good person and you know eh, I shouldn't do that you know
4: well, I know we've had discussions in the past here that it's as good as a bid's been for people to move around it's also been very detrimental to the department because the, the, yeah there's no one wants to work down there. The senior people are going to take shit days off up north just so they're not working yep. south.
0: The bid, uh, I really think, um, in my opinion, hurt hurt the department more because you can't you can't have beat policing. You can't uh, cops aren't don't work one neighborhood long enough to get to know the people. Um, anyway. Well, yeah.
1: everybody's so call-driven right now, too, and in yeah. the climate and um, for police right now, it's it, that style of proactive policing is i don't I don't believe is going on as much as uh, when we were all out there, right? But
5: yeah. Lance, after you were shot, did the department offer any type of mental health services at that point?
0: It was the same. I, I literally, it was worse. They told me to go visit Doctor Silma de Villa. I saw him one time, he asked me if I was sleeping okay, I said yes, and I left. And that was the last time I... Were you sleeping okay? Really? No. But that's why I say it has to be, you know, it's got to be pride out of cops. Pride meaning not not P-R-I-D-E, it has to be pride, P-R-I-E-D. Yeah. You can spell. Yep. Look yeah. at that. <laughs> <laughs> why'd, you Google, why'd, you, why'd you Google that? You, he just Googled it. <laughs> that. It's one of the words <laughs> I had, had written on my, yeah. All
1: right. Yeah. Six years later, you got into another wild ass incident with a, a carjacker. Yeah. I want to keep stacking on these critical <laughs> incidents. There's a, there's, a, there's a point. There's a reason for this, too.
0: Um, can you tell us about that one? I was uh training rookies I was training Nathan Heathcote shout out to Nathan. I think he's uh he's,
1: yeah i just i got an email from him yesterday. He's the yeah. detective yeah, yeah I he's was a red headed kid right mm-hmm.
0: and uh so we we get out of detail that morning and was, and Matt Nagy and his rookie and I don't remember matt's rookie's name uh we had been told in detail that deep knights had lost a uh or that farmer's branch had gotten into a car chase uh, and the guy wrecked out on marsh lane and deep nights was out in marsh in uh clover area of uh, south of walnut hill looking for the guy and so there weren't a lot of calls holding so me and matt or matt and i decided hey let's take our rookies up there and let's go get on the ground and try to find this guy so okay so we head up there, Parker Cars, and we just—he's in one alley and with his rookie, and I'm in my—I'm I'm in one alley with my rookie, and we're walking, and I remember walking. The rookie's like right behind me, and we're we're walking down an alley, and I remember hearing a ruckus, and I look behind me, and here's this long-haired, shirtless white guy with tattoos all over him cl- coming over a fence. Is Pat Starr. Not that many tattoos, okay. <laughs> <laughs> and, he, and he said long hair. Yeah, oh, yeah. and I said long hair. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. And if Pat, you're listening, you yeah. he, he, he's well aware you're sitting with us today. <laughs> and uh, uh, coming over the fence, and so so my rookie takes off. Nathan takes off after him, and he's chasing. I always laugh because Nathan is ch- is going over the fences with him. Well, you know, I'm the one that I go to the gate. And open it and go through. And um, rookies
4: are dumb that way because I got one of my rookies do the same thing. He's yeah. jumping this fence. I'm like, the
1: gates right here. Look, through, look yeah. for the
0: door. Work, work smarter, yeah. not harder. It's okay. like
1: going in to clear a
0: dark room. Reach over, and turn the light on. It, the it can be that simple. <laughs> yeah, it's not. It's not TV. Okay. And uh, so the foot chase is on, and it is common knowledge in Northwest that I am not fast. I've only probably caught one person ever in a foot chase. <laughs> and uh, uh, and if Egg ever listens to it, yes his name was Gummy Bear, the guy that I caught. So uh, you can just kind of figure what his body looked like. But anyway. So we're we're chasing this guy and, and we come out on the street and I see Nathan. There's a there's a uh, like a Ford Explorer's little SUVs at the stop light. I mean at the stop sign um might have been alive in the lane but it was at marsh lane and the bad guy is is carjacking the lady and her daughter trying to get them out of the car so he can steal it and the rookie is standing at the back with his gun pointed yelling at the guy to stop of course the guy doesn't have a gun but the rookie's yelling or nathan's yelling at him and uh so Bad guy is trying to get in through the passenger door, so I run up to the driver's door, and just as the and and get the mom and the girl out, and I jump in the driver's seat because I'm figuring I'm going to jump in the driver's seat before he gets in the driver's seat and stop and turn the car off, and then Nathan's over here will have him captured. Well, basically, the, the bad guy he gets his left leg onto the driver's seat i get my right leg on the driver and he slams the gas and we go right out into the middle of marsh lane which is a six lane road and i'm and i i can't turn the car off so i'm trying to pull the emergency brake and i finally get the brake pulled up and we spin around hit a tree i literally fly out of the car bad guy flies out um takes off running because you know bad guys never get hurt in car wrecks you know (laughs) or when uh, they get shot or when they get shot they just keep on going and uh he get he got caught i ended up bruising some ribs and uh uh getting put in an ambulance my wife was a detective then in northwest and uh she wasn't happy with me for when she got to the to the uh it was like the third time in like yeah. six years she's had to come see you. <laughs> in the ambulance. But, you know, aside from some, uh, a, you know, knot on my forehead and a bruised rib, I was – I got through that one okay. So, yeah.
1: Saved the, the uh, lady and the kid.
0: And they were fine, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Car – the, the tr- car was not, and there's still a big dent in the tree there – where,
1: where we hit, but uh. <laughs> so, you are not a you are not a kind of person that you, you didn't go past senior corporal, and you you took a lot of pride in being an FTO, and you are not a, you didn't want power, you didn't want to supervise people. A big part of policing, you can be a leader and a super slash supervisor in the field at, at really any rank. Yeah, right. Mm-hmm. And you did that. At, I mean.
0: As of FTO and just, yeah, I think so, yeah.
1: You also weren't a, uh, an award seeker either. Right? No. Okay. No. So, Chief, you uh, you have a little bit of information here on, on, on some awards that this man has.
5: So, in the Dallas Police Department, there's the Medal of Honor and the Medal of Valor. And both of them are about as prestigious as they can get. Um, you are only one of two officers in the history of the Dallas Police Department that's been awarded the Medal of Valor twice. Um,
0: Me and Mark King.
5: As, well, maybe the history because there's another guy on there, too. Oh, okay. I, I, <laughs> but things have happened since. So. Okay, yeah. But um, it's, to say, it says, to be awarded for exceptional bravery at imminent risk of serious bodily injury with the recipient having demonstrated exceptional courage by performing A voluntary course of action in an extremely dangerous situation. The term voluntary course of action is the qualification, and it disqualifies all acts of courage, no matter how great performed in the course of carrying out verbal or written orders. So that basically means you had to make the decision to to do these courageous acts. And you've done it twice, Lance. You're a modern-day gunslinger. You truly are. And uh, Gunslinger. Hey, I man, take it. Take it. Um,
1: and, Ch- and Chief, he's actually going to get the gunslinger music oh, on his that's episode. horrible. <laughs> <That's> horrible. <laughs>
5: <laughs> um, Lance, I, 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 you've always been a very humble man. How do you feel? And I know, I know one of the one of the Mellow Valors for, was for KJ, wasn't it? Yeah. And I know you'd yeah. give that back tomorrow if you could. Yeah. Um, but we it twice, and you didn't slow down. What's your mindset behind that? Uh,
0: You know, you just go – I I think if if you're an aggressive officer that likes to be out in the field helping, doing the right thing, you're going to naturally put yourself – Without thinking about it, you're going to put yourself in situations where things like that could happen. You know, Matt Nagy and I didn't, when we went out to look for that car thief, we didn't have to do that, but we wanted to because that's your job, number one, and there's a bad guy running around out there, and we wanted to go out and catch him, and uh I guess a lot of officers don't. I mean, they they think, well, I'm just going to go out and whatever comes to me comes to me. But I always wanted to be proactive because it was fun, you know. And I just, I, I don't how else, did you get? I don't know how else to answer. That. <laughs> did, did you get
1: paid extra to be to be uh, proactive? No. Did you? You didn't get a bonus check for? No, Nope. No, no more, bonus checks. More uh, rest than the other other person? No.
0: No. No.
3: Do you look at it as a gift or a curse?
0: A gift. Why? Because you feel better at the end of the day that you did something. You know, uh, uh, I used to, when I was training, especially when I trained in West Dallas, um, the goal was to go, you, you had to, I told my rookies, you got to go to jail twice and write six tickets. And believe it or not, it was pretty easy to do. But, if you didn't do that, you felt like well, I didn't do my job today because if you only arrest two people, there's fifty other ones out there that you didn't catch, you know, and uh and you got to be out in the middle of all that mess going on to try to catch them you can always you can voluntarily stay back and work minor wrecks on the freeway, and nobody will bat an eye at you about that. no chief will bat an eye at you about that. Uh, but you got to be out there in the middle of it, and I always like doing that. You worked I enjoyed in
3: an era where there was lots of car chases. Oh, yeah.
0: Boy, I had some great car I chases. I like to
3: ask, what's the best police vehicle? What's your favorite police vehicle that you drove?
0: The 1994 Chevy no. Caprice. Caprice. <laughs> the Corvette <laughs> With engine. the Corvette engine. <laughs> <laughs> I did 140 miles an hour in that thing one time. Scared me to death. <laughs> oh, listeners, if you could see the smile. On yeah. <laughs> God, car chases were fun. So dangerous, but man, they were fun. I'm about to pull up a picture to show you in a minute of, a, of the '94. <laughs> no, that's
1: an ugly Chevy. car. Don't. Oh, no, it's me. ugly. Shit, it's, a, it's very yeah, ugly.
0: It was a tank.
3: You know, we're screeching the tires. Yeah. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. We got. In a, I remember. Uh, Me and Mike Morgan. I don't know if y'all know Mike or not. Yeah. 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 We got in the car. This was not a 94. We were in a 95 Chevy, which were dogs. But uh, (laughs) that would only do 121 miles an hour. (laughs) We got in a car chase with a Corvette. And uh, the only way we caught him was because he ran out of gas. But uh, we were doing 121 miles an hour for about 20 minutes. And, you know, you can go a long ways in 20, 20 minutes. And it was Got to bust through the DFW airport, uh, the you know, the gate arms and all that stuff, blow them up. It was so much fun. Well, yeah.
1: Officers these days, they don't – we have such a strict chase policy now, and um, people don't realize how exhausting a car chase is physically oh. and mentally. I mean, shit. The, the longest official time on a chase that I did, and it was through neighborhoods. It wasn't on a freeway. And it was 46 minutes, and – I was my my arms were were your right foot hurts yeah it goes numb yeah your right
0: foot hurts from pushing on the pedal the
1: whole time it was Pat Starr and I we were were, at first we were punching the the headboard all excited and then after a while I felt like you're like I took a Benadryl (laughs) 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 yeah Lance
3: how Uh, many how many recruits did you train approximately
0: you know my wife and I were trying to count those up one time I think. I counted up about forty. Because you can't do it, you know. You think you can only do if you if you train nonstop, you can only do six a year. So, um.
3: And, and when you mm, retired, how many years you have on?
0: Thirty-three. Yeah.
3: I don't think you realize it, but you are a legend trainer. And, and when I was hmm. assigned to the academy, you were a go-to instructor for my recruit classes.
0: I didn't know that. Yes. So.
3: I, and yeah. I, I never had the privilege of working with you, but your reputation.
0: Well, thank you for that.
3: And it, that you were the go to instructor. And, and I'd love to sit in your classes and listen to you teach.
0: And I wasn't crying back then no, either, probably. No, there was no tears. <laughs> <laughs> just pure badassness. <laughs> no. We had a
1: lot of fun. Yeah. There's still badassness right now. but yeah. yeah, there's a lot of them out there. No, no, I'm talking about you. Oh. Yeah, there are a lot of badasses out there, but yeah, you are just you are the standard. And when she talks about legendary and that word legendary, people throw it around. But it as a trainer and as a as a field officer and somebody that did it for so many years, you, that is your reputation. I want you to know that. And your reputation isn't what you think of yourself, it's what everybody else thinks of you. And that's what well, they think. Thank you for saying that. I'll we'll
3: never I look can't. at a crackle
0: candy
1: bar the same. <laughs> I actually Google crackle candy bar here in a minute. And I'm gonna I'm gonna be passing that pick around.
0: Um, no, I've seen I've seen pictures on your phone, Joe, and I'm not looking I ever know, ever, I ever do again. Not know what you're talking about?
1: <laughs> uh, I want to get into get into the honor guard, and I want Chief to jump in here because he actually was with you on this, and yep. and and I want why. What that task is, we've, we've had on some other – Chief talked about it, and also we had David Lindsay, the uh, firefighter. Uh, he, he's a, the DFR's honor guard for mm-hmm. years. What that is, why it's so important, and what did that mean to you personally?
0: you asking me or it, Chief Ford? No, no go ahead. It's your podcast, Lance. He's already had his. <laughs> okay. Your turn, Lance. Um, you know, a- after being involved after um, KJ shooting and my sh- and and I always felt like, to me part of my therapy to myself was constantly talking about it, and uh, that's why I started teaching about it at the academy and things like that. And then when the honor guard came around, uh, I, you know, I just couldn't think of any other way to to honor all peace officers. Than to do that, than 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 to to work the funerals, to to uh, fold the flag, and um,
3: uh, what are you? What it's Joe there? has a picture of a crackle on his on his phone. I'm, I'm sorry to derail you. I'm sorry to derail you. I'm talking about the honors. Sorry, you're showing a crackle bar. It's a terrible time. I,
0: <laughs> and, and once you know, it, again, you drew me looking at your phone. <laughs> And and it, and it could have been a lot worse. Yeah, know. Uh,
1: he had an it has opportunity. It been a lot worse. Yeah. All right. Proceed. Uh, okay.
0: Um. No, the, the the honor guard. I just it, it's a way to 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 give back to the to the to your fellow officers. Uh. And and I used to tell, for this all the time. Believe it or not, the retiree funerals are the ones that, I loved doing because you would go work a retiree funeral of some officer that retired in 1973 and his wife was 98 years old and she would start crying. because She was just so happy that her husband wasn't forgotten. And it just, it was always so touching uh, because that, you know, these officers are, you know, they, they, they retired 40 years ago and you'd show up and you would treat them just like you treated an officer that that was killed in line of duty—well, not killed in line of duty, but um, but a new rookie officer. You know, they got everything, and they were just so thankful for that. And that always made me feel so good to to let them know, let let the family members know that their loved one wasn't forgotten. You know, handing that flag to them was just made you feel so good. Um, you know.
5: Lance, I ran it for many years and you were always my go-to guy when we had a, I say a last minute, you know, they're all last minutes. You can't prep for them, right? But if we had to go out of town and I remember one trip in particular, you and another officer went to El Paso and y'all went out there, y'all did the honor guard thing. But on the way back, y'all ran into a Fort Worth squad car. And then I started getting phone calls on the way back as y'all were racing down um, I-20 or on the way actually back. actually Midland that we went to. Was, was it one? Midland? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but, but good job, Lance. Thanks. Yeah, um, <laughs> yeah.
0: And I wasn't driving. I'm telling you, I was not driving. And no, we only raced the Fort Worth cop for a little while. And then we got too far ahead of them and they backed And So, so you won. Yeah. So we won. All right. Good, yeah. good representation. Yeah. yeah. A
5: lot but of you, great you, you truly were you truly were one of the most dependable guys we had in the honor guard and when you retired it was a blow to that to our unit there because there was only a handful that I could call up literally the day before and say I need you to make a trip that that'll do it and you always you always did.
0: So, I loved doing that. You know, I loved uh, and, you know, you also uh, I, another thing cuz I would hear officers <clears throat> our officers always complaining about Dallas. You know, I work for Dallas. Dallas this sucks. This sucks, but you when we as the honor guard got to go out like to the national police week in dc or to austin uh, mainly to national and you would meet other agencies they just thought dallas was the greatest department in the world and i'm looking at them going what what are you and, and they go oh no y'all the best y'all the best reputation in the world y'all are the best trained most technologically advanced and i'm looking at them like I don't know about the technological part, but, uh, <laughs> um, but you know, and you loved, and, you, and yeah, we all gripe and complain about DPD, but I was still so proud to wear that badge. I really was. I mean, I was just so proud. You represented
3: yeah. us so well. Like, you look amazing in your uniform, especially representing us with the honor guard. Such professionalism.
0: Well, the honor guard was, I thought, I mean, yeah, we had our down times, but, but, I thought we did a great job. Absolutely. And How, and, and uh, even though Ford didn't think I could make it happen, we got to go to London one time. Ooh. So. And he got plane tickets. <laughs> I, you know, <laughs> hey, and I, hey I, Lance, and I was, you know, I've been you, working here a while, and uh,
4: I, it, if it wasn't for you, y'all weren't going to go. You know, if I'd, it would have been anybody else because it was him, well, your reputation made that happen because you had some skins on the wall. I mean, no offense to you but if you would come in i, I don't know if it would have happened the same way uh, it was because of him mm-hmm. i believe now,
1: it. absorbing all that sorrow and that goes along with the honor guard um how did you cope with that i mean how you, how was that for you absorbing so much energy and sorrow from uh the family the peers your friends uh that being laid to rest, and and just even the events with the with the history and the that that was that's involved, even just going up to a to a, a sports event and representing our department.
0: How did how did you how did that how did you cope with that? Well, it's very draining, um, especially uh, National Police Week in DC. Yes, there's a lot of fun. But when you would go visit the wall and see those families crying their eyes out, and then you see families that they would come up to you and just just give you a hug, you know, and you know they, because their son was a West Virginia State Trooper and killed in a car wreck, and they were there, and they would give you a hug, saying just thank you for being here, and you go I don't even know who these people are, but they would just, and it would just, I mean, literally the emotional drain you just you just want to go sit down on the curb and cry you know and um it's hard it's just draining um but you know you have to do it because the families deserve that i don't I know if g- that answered your question or no it did that. and
1: again it's it's another just testament to you and the person you are and the just pure service in, you know Giving a shit about other
2: people.
1: Yeah. Uh, speaking of giving a shit about other people, you you and your wife were heavily involved with the uh, the DPA and the ATO. Yeah. Right. Can you talk about that and why? Why that was? Why,
0: why yet again? Why was that important to you? Because we enjoyed giving back to the uh, you know um, the DPA. I was when I hired on there was only the DPA. And it was a year or two later when the union uh, was formed, and uh, uh, I just never understood why anybody uh, every, people complained about the DPA. But I, I was actually a rep for the, I was actually a rep in '99 for two years, and so I got to come in here and see how things were done, and 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 uh, you saw how much the DPA does for Dallas for, for the officers um and surrounding agencies uh and then so you see that and you think well i mean if the the eddie crawford and tom popkin and all those guys or if they can spend their weekends helping us why can't i come every you know every other saturday and do this or why can't i stay late and why can't i go work a race that the dpa's putting on and then of course when they, the ATO came out, it's that's even more to help it. And then when they had the Kevin James Endowment, you know, KJ was a friend of mine, so I try to help out on that as much as I can. And you just want to give back to the to the police association because they they do a lot, and you can gripe and you know that's what I'd hear people complain and moan and groan and say, well the D, the DPA can't, nothing's a hundred percent, you know. They can they can help. You're going to help somebody over here, but you're always going to piss somebody else off. And you just got to look at the big picture, you know. You know,
4: I I, I wish we don't do it the same way anymore, but I know when I first started here, you and Kim were always penciled in for the Freedom Run. Oh, yeah. For yeah. just about anything. And
0: in the Cops Cop Bank. You know, we yeah, Cops Cop.
4: You were 2004, you were the Cops Cop winner. Um, she won too, didn't she? Uh, she was uh, a monthly winner. A, a monthly okay. winner, yeah. You know, and, it, and it's one of these things I hope these young officers listening can realize that and give back to and pay it forward because we can't do what we do without officers like you doing what they're doing, like Joe's doing, and yeah. what even Misty's, you know, helping doing because she's been a cop's cop. Joe was a
1: cop's cop. Maybe we need to nominate Foy for well, he's chief me. now. He ain't, he ain't I was job. there many years ago. Randy. <laughs> 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 yeah, like Randy says, it's in in Lancey. It is. There's a lot of work that goes behind the scenes in yeah. this, and, and and giving back. Because the ATO, if you have a, if the confidential counseling, if you have an injury and illness, it doesn't matter what what association you're a part of. You know, right. they they come in and help. Right.
4: And I'll let you know these officers are using counseling now they're seeking it out and doing doing a lot better i don't know if it's just cuz society's changed or that stigma's been wiped away but these officers are taking advantage of the counseling now compared to i mean it's grown so much over the past 10 years i, I can't even describe you know we went from just a handful of counselors now we have we have more new ones Oh up. really I yeah yeah know. it's 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 wild how much it's grown
1: Wow. Oh, it's it's big now, Lance. I'll, I'll have to, yeah. I'll show you offline of how many of how many counselors uh, the ATO has now, and in the and it's up like three hundred percent of officers utilizing that since seven seven, really. That's
4: and we yeah. And Justin and Ed are doing a better job of making sure. I think we're going to put some numbers on the website coming soon, letting know how much of an impact we're doing with money that goes out and how That's many people awesome. we're actually touching. So it's going to be try to be you more know, transparent in that.
0: What's sad is though is, you know, the city should be doing that. They're your boss; they should be doing it. We know they won't, but I'm glad the ATOs did because they, you know, like I said, that stuff has to be pried out of cops, and you gotta just talking about it. There's all the horrible stuff we see. Um, but that's what this that's what this podcast is for. It's you know. to give
1: people uh, of all races, ages, uh, organizations, diff, tenured on, uh, a platform to tell stories like this. I mean, you've got your stories. You've got a lot of stories and people are going to, they're going to listen. They're going to learn. They're going to feel, and I, that's what it's for. If the, if this could, if, if your story can help one person, right, yeah. it's worth it And your story. Yeah. I, I, it's, it's. It's so inspiring, really. I got one question for you to, to wrap this up. What would you What would you tell a young officer starting, just graduating the academy, the best tool that they could work on and, and, and just work on to help carry them through a t- two-decade-plus career?
0: Uh, You got to keep a sense of humor. You have to keep, you have to have thick skin. You got to find a way to make the job fun. Uh, we, the older officers, always say, well, I don't know how the younger guys could ever be, I don't know how y'all can do this job anymore. You know, we couldn't, but the younger officers don't, that's all they know. All they know is what they're learning now. So you got to find a way to have fun doing the job the right way and it can be done it it can be done if you are coming to work and you're miserable well that misery is going to turn into a horrible call for you one night and you're going to get hurt get fired get in trouble uh, find a way to make the job fun and do it the right way
1: that's a perfect way to wrap it up um i've been excited about this all week and uh, actually, didn't sleep much last night because I was nervous about sitting with you. I was hoping you wouldn't bring up that picture I showed you. That's probably because you were yeah. looking at that picture. Well, that's, <laughs> <laughs> I've been looking at it this whole time we're sitting here talking. Eatin of course not. Everyone eating a, Eatin a
0: Everyone that listens to this podcast is going to want to know what is
1: that picture? No, that well, <laughs> no, hey everyone. Most of <laughs> people listening to this podcast yeah, have gotten no. pictures from him. Yeah, no, so they know. <laughs> <laughs> They're just going to wonder which one. Lance, thank you for your service. Thank you for being so inspiring to to me and being there for other officers to make them better stronger and
0: harder to kill thank you you.
3: i'm going to use your words thank you for doing a career of doing it the right way it's amazing
0: thank you
2: good thanks lance appreciate it lance good job
0: thanks for having me
2: Brother, hey sister, I'll never give up on you Hey mrs., hey mister, I'll see this all the way through No matter how far the sun and the moon I'll never give up On you Down when you're lonely I'll pull you up Life leaves you heavy When the going gets tough I'll be your shoulder Together we'll run Up from the bottom Yeah, we'll rise above Hey, brother I'll never give up on you A missus, a mister I'll see this all the way through No matter how far the sun is Never give up on you, hey Mrs. Hey Mister. I'll see this all the way through. No matter how far for the gold and the blue, I will never give up on you.